welcome to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I've spent the last few days trying to figure out who's coming in, who's going out of Ashburn, where are they going, what does it mean with the NFL Draft now one week away. We'll get to a bunch of draft topics for sure on this episode because joining me this week is the Athletics draft analyst, Dane Brugler, uh, who is just easily one of the go-to people you want at this time of the year. He just put out his uh, top 300 uh, player big board up on the Athletic. He's got his draft guide. He's done mock drafts. And now he's on this podcast talking about the commander's at 11, what else he likes in this draft, sleepers, uh, the receivers, uh, Kyle Hamilton, all the questions you, you, you're going to have about this draft. I hopefully asked a bunch of them, so we'll get to that in just a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast. In addition, my friend Ava Wallace from the Washington Post, who covers the, oh, the Washington Wizards. You know I have to talk about them with their season officially over. Ava and I got together the other day to talk about what happened, and maybe more importantly for me, where is this going? And I think that is as much of a question for this team that I find frustrating at this point, beyond even the normal level of frustrations. But we're going to get into that, and also like what's there to look forward to. What what are some of the things that are are positive here with Bradley Beal, Kristaps Porzingis, and others? So we'll get to all that here in just a moment on the Standard Room Only podcast. And of course, make sure you check out my work on The Athletic right now. Brand new story up on Thursday. Mock draft, but not just one mock draft for, about, for the Washington Commanders, not just two, three mock drafts. My One of my favorite exercises, it's a choose your own adventure situation where I lay out three different scenarios because it's easy to say, hey, they got to draft a receiver. Hey, you got to get up a quarterback. They need a secondary, they need help in the secondary. What about defensive line depth? Whatever it might be, that's great. But when you only have two picks in the top 100, things can kind of change and thin out a bit. So we'll get to uh, that. You can check that out on The Athletic for sure. And plenty of more podcasts about the draft to come. I have been, I've got some good guests. I always hate to announce in advance because you never know how things are going to, life gets in the way. But I'm really excited about some of the guests coming up. So make sure you're locked in here to the podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. You know the deal. If you're an iTunes person, greatly appreciate it. If you have a second to drop a rating and a review, definitely helps the cause. Um, so we'll get to all that in a moment. I don't want to take too much time here at the top, but just a couple of things to note. Um, I mentioned in my intro, you know, we're checking who's been coming in and out of Ashburn and what is going on here on Wednesday was the last day for top 30 visits. I believe Oklahoma's Perion Winfrey was the last person to come through the defensive tackle. And, but that's not all that's going on though. As I reported yesterday, if you saw that Washington is setting up a meeting this week to meet with Georgia defensive end Trayvon Walker. And that's interesting, <laughs> right? Because for those of you who are kind of unaware, Trayvon Walker is one of the players projected to be 
not just a top five pick in this draft, he might be the first pick in this draft. And yet Washington wanted to bring him in for a top 30 visit. That didn't quite work out, so they instead having a meeting on the University of Georgia campus. Now, my sense is this is more information gathering than it is we're trying to make a trade up for for this guy. Um, ultimately, my, my sense is that Washington did not send Ron Rivera or Martin Mayhew or any of the coordinators or anything like that to go meet with Trayvon Walker. So it doesn't feel that this is like, oh, what's going on here? But at the same point, it is still a choice to, to decide who do you want to talk to in these final stage, in this final stage of the draft process. And they chose to talk with a guy who's incredibly athletic, uh, athletic enough and as a hard worker that he could be the first pick, even though his production at Georgia wasn't that impressive. He had less than 10 sacks in three years. Um, he's more of a three, he was a three, four end in college could play four, three here, but he also played up and down the line. And, and that versatility would, would surely be interesting to a guy like Ron Rivera. And to me, whether this particular moment matters or not, whether this particular player is somebody on their true radar or not, it's just another reminder to me that we have a lot of questions about Washington's defensive line. I certainly do. I, I can't. I can't keep. T- I can't really tell if this is enough of a of a ch- of a talk out there in the world. But at the same point, what are they going to do? Right? We're talking all all. We're having a lot of talk about Terry McLaurin's contract which is notable. We can get to that in a quick second because there's a little bit of news tangentially with that. Are you really going to extend Jerron Payne, having already extended John Allen, knowing that Montez Sweat and Chase Young are each going to be due deals over the next couple of years? Are you really going to make that kind of move? You also have Carson Wentz. It's hard to see how you're paying for everybody. I know the salary cap might be an illusion. I get that. But, you know, even if you could pay six people or whatever the number is, all this money, do you want to do it at one unit? That, I think, is a big question. We'll see what happens here going up to the draft or going into the season. In any event, that's notable. Also notable, Washington has an off-site workout at the University of Arkansas with wide receiver Traylon Burks on Friday. Traylon Burks is a guy who's projected into the first round, now more, more like late teens and early 20s. But you never know. Perhaps Washington thinks he's that exciting to that they would consider moving him up to 11. Or if there's a trade down, you know, d- d- does a team want to move up for a quarterback? Or could we, you know, maybe an offensive tackle, defensive lineman, whatever it may be. What do you do then at that point? If you trade yourself out of a position where, hey, Garrett Wilson, Drake London are off the board. Who else is there? I think Traylon Burks is a really interesting, versatile uh, playmaker. So that they are also meeting with him. For a full breakdown of everybody they've been meeting with, based on what I've been told by sources or what's been reported out there, if you go check out the set, the three-way mock draft, at the bottom of that, I put down everything there that I could find. No, I take it back. It's not in that article. It's in the Trayvon Walker uh, article. At the bottom of that, you can find everything there, that uh, the, everything that I'm aware of, of who's been coming in and out of uh, Ashburn for meetings. So there's that. Now, I mentioned Terry McLaurin. No specific news on Terry McLaurin, but if you haven't heard yet, 49ers receiver Debo Samuel has reportedly asked for a trade. He told this to Jeff Darlington from ESPN. And of course, Debo Samuel is one of these four receivers from the 2019 class, along with Terry McLaurin, 
who is pushing for a new contract, extension eligible, and they're ready to get paid, which is notable. And I wrote the other day when 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 the McLaurin when it came out that McLaurin and these other receivers were all sort of planning to skip the on-field voluntary workout programs this year. So, meaning Terry McLaurin is in Ashburn this week for the voluntary program, but that's not on the field. It's just weight room and some team meetings. But he's going to skip the on-field stuff when we get ahead to OTAs and all that at this point is. That part of why this is happening is to speed up the timeline of negotiations to get the ball rolling. And the side benefit for teams is it gives them an opportunity to know, hey, do we have a problem here? Are we going to get something done? And as I reported, my sense was this was more of an issue for the other three, perhaps, or not definitively the other three, but not an issue necessarily for McLaurin. At this point, at least. Debo Samuel now asking for a trade. We'll see how that plays out, what the compensation is. Um, all these things are not necessarily equal. Samuel is closer in age to McLaurin than the other guys. He's also a very different type of player. Uh, obviously, they used him a lot out of the backfield, which perhaps is one of the issues based on some of the reporting uh, nationally that maybe his issue is not money, but usage. So interesting to see what happens here. I don't have any insight as to what, what team will specifically try for him. You can kind of you know, throw some names out, but I would say keep an eye on the Jets. They have been trying to get um, a bigger play. They were in it for Tyreek Hill. They also have draft capital. They have two firsts and I believe two seconds. Uh, and, you know, why not, right? I mean, they're, they, they need to give Zach Wilson some help, and this would be a good move for them. I, you know, probably a bad move for Debo Samuel fantasy football owners, but could be a good move for the Jets. So something to keep an eye out on there. Beyond that, you know, uh, Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera will talk with reporters on Monday. So something to put on your calendar, put your thinking cap on. What kind of questions would you want to ask them? Um, you know, if you, if you have thoughts, you can hit me up, of course, on Twitter at Ben Standig. Uh, and by the way, before I forget, our guest today, Dane Brugler is at DP Brugler and Ava is at Ava R. Wallace. So make sure to give them a follow. Certainly Dane this time of year. Is, who else are you going to want to hear from than, than that guy? Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what Ron Rivera and Martin May have to tell us on Monday. And next week, of course, we'll have plenty more of coverage here on The Athletic, on this podcast. So make sure you sign up. I believe we still have the deal a dollar a month for six months. So go click on my, my, my uh, mock draft story or my Trayvon Walker story, and you can get that deal. Or you can also go through this podcast over on The Athletic. Uh, we'll kind of call it there. I mean, what else can we say? Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Kyle Hamilton, Chris Olave, Derek Stingley, maybe Trent McDuffie. Uh, you know, these are the names that are probably going to get discussed the most, if, uh, you know, in terms of Washington's pick, if they stay at 11. is there, Are there other names to consider? I mean, anything is possible. You don't know definitively what's going to happen. But unless, like, say, Sauce Gardner slips out of the top 10, the cornerback from Cincinnati, which I don't see. I don't really know what other players that are in the top 10 might be in play for Washington. Could they take a defensive lineman? I mean, I would think not at 11. At the same time, you know, Matt Ioannidis left and, or they released him, and he played on 60% of their snaps last year with even while missing one game. That's a big chunk of snaps that, they've, that they're, they're, they don't have replaced easily right now. Plus, it's good to have a rotation. Plus, Jerron Payne 
is at a minimum going into the last year of his contract. But even still, I, I just don't see them taking, say, a Jordan Davis from Georgia or if we're talking, a, you know, even just a, another pass rusher like a Jermaine Johnson. I just don't see that. The other offensive lineman with two tackles expected to go off the board in the first five or six picks. The other offensive lineman, a bunch of guards or, or some other tackles are a little bit later in the draft. So I, I think they could absolutely take offensive line and maybe – uh, you know, in the second round, I just don't see it happening at 11. All right, that said, let's get to my conversations. We'll start with Dane Brugler, NFL Draft Insider for The Athletic, talking about everything you want to know about the NFL Draft, and then Ava Wallace on the Washington Wizards. Here we go on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, as a promise, joining me here on the podcast, I mean, look, who else do you want to hear from? This is it. This is Santa Claus telling you what's coming to Christmas. It's Dane Brugler, the Athletics NFL Draft Guru. He literally today dropped a seven-round mock draft on everybody, so you're going to go check that out on the Athletic, not to mention his insanely uh, detailed The Beast draft guide on all things about this NFL draft. I don't know how he has time to sleep, eat, or do anything else, but he has time to talk to us for a few minutes. Dane, I appreciate the time. How are you? I'm doing well, Ben. I appreciate that uh, that introduction. It's uh, of course all 32 teams were thrilled with my mock draft. Not one single person complained. So that that was great to see this morning. <laughs> what was the uh, you know because you have to hear from every fan base, not just yeah. what was like the one biggest was there one big thing that you've sort of heard from people, good or bad, so far, no matter where the pick was. I, I do think a lot of uh, a lot of the feedback they appreciate that I focus. I really pay attention to how front offices think you know like the Colts have a certain type of player they go after and so that's reflected in the and I think so Colts fans were very okay that you know you, you understand what Chris Ballard looks for um and you know that, but once you get into day three I know a lot of you know Cincinnati fans weren't happy with a long snapper in the seventh uh there's another team I can't remember that you know they 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 didn't feel like they needed a running back in the sixth and so you know it's it's one of those things where uh, you're not gonna make everybody happy, but that's okay. Because you know what the actual draft is, it never goes as you think, especially on day three. Uh, and you know, this uh, doing a seven round mock is not about accuracy per se, uh, because you know, one trade in the first round and the whole thing is going to be shot and blown up, but it is an interesting exercise. Cause it makes you really think about, uh, how, you know, certain teams think uh, about team fits, about scheme fits, about, you know, who's meeting with who, which isn't always a direct correlation of what they're looking at, but it is still an interesting exercise. Whenever I do my own one uh, first round mock, I actually always do two rounds, even if the second round doesn't become public, because I need to see what the board looks like in a round two. Like to use mm -hmm. Washington as an example, we can say they should take receiver or they should take a, a defensive back. But what does the second round look like when they're picking at 47? Are there options there at one and maybe not the other? And thus, well, wait, if there's two guys that are kind of equal, I'm going to be better off taking somebody over here. So I do appreciate the fact that you look at it from that way. Of course, you're also looking at all the players in incredible detail, not just in the three months leading up to the draft, but for months and years uh, on end, it builds on top of the other. Um, here's been my question, my theme for this. The top 10 to me feels as weird and random as I can recall in years in terms of pick, pick to player. That or you know, yeah, you know, like which, which, who's going where? I guess Aiden Hutchinson feels like the first pick, and then after that, I've seen it all over the place. Does this feel as weird to you, or as chaotic to you as it does to me? 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and I think the the quarterbacks kind of muck things up uh, because, look, quarterbacks are going early. It's going to happen. But where and where, when's that run start? That's where it gets difficult to figure out. Um, but, you know, these guys are going to go early. They always do. So uh, how does that affect the top 10? Um, there's a lot of differing opinions. You know, last year we had so many of those, quote, unquote, blue chippers, those elite guys at the top. You know, Kyle Pitts. Uh, the best non-quarterback in the draft. Jamar Chase was, uh, you know, everybody loved what he did at receiver. Uh, Penny Sewell, Rashawn Slater, uh, you know, teams loved them. The corners with J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan. So we had a lot of those guys, and uh, they were universally loved. This year, we've got a lot of guys that are universally liked, but maybe not universally loved. And so Aiden Hutchinson will be uh, probably one of the first first pick or second pick. But for other teams, he might not be that highly thought of. Uh, last year, Aiden Hutchinson might not go in the top 10. So it's just a really interesting top half of round one this year where the offensive linemen, you ask different teams, they have different opinions on the top offensive linemen this year. The defensive line, uh, you know, Trevon Walker, that, I mean, I, I've been a big Trevon Walker fan since the fall. Uh, you know, it, having him highly rated before the combine and then all of a sudden, now we're talking about him as maybe could sneak in uh, to the, being that top pick. Uh, I think he still goes two or three when it's all said and done. So there's just, there's a lot of players to like in the top 10. It's just hard to figure out exactly who loves who and where they're going to end up. We'll get to in a second, what you kind of thought to do for Washington. Obviously I don't want to step all over the mock, but when you do seven rounds, we can maybe discuss a pick or two without spoiling too much. Um, But before we get to that, I am curious about, receivers it's the position that gets talked about the most here in part because it's the most fun right I mean it's, it's more fun to talk about those kinds of guys in a lot of other positions especially when they've addressed quarterback with Carson Wentz you, we can see your order you've got your big board in your draft guide we also see your order for the draft but there's a question of order and then there's a question of tiers and when you look at Garrett Wilson Jamison Williams Drake London Chris Olave Travion Berg Traylon Burks uh, Dahan Dodson, maybe even Christian Watson. What's the tiers for you of those guys? Because I think that plays a factor in how we view the 11th pick uh, when it comes to that receiver. Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, kind of what we were just talking about. You know, my tiers are probably going to look different than other you know people's tiers, maybe even, you know, Washington's tiers. Uh, for me, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Drake London, that's that's the top tier uh, for me. I think those guys all uh, affect the scoreboard in ways you know, the rest of these receivers don't. Uh, the next tier would be Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Sky Moore, George Pickens. Uh, that, that would be my second tier. Um, so, you know, we're talking about some really good receivers here. Um, but, you know, I, you know I, I like Christian Watson quite a bit. I struggle with the price tag if it's the first round pick. Uh, I, I think I, you know, late second round, early third rounds where I have Christian Watson six four and runs a four three, but you know, I mean he, the routes are rough, the you know, too many drops. He didn't dominate FCS level. Like I mean, it's there's a lot of things to like about Christian Watson, but taking him in the first round, I, to me, that's a little bit of a reach. Uh, but I know some teams they're going to bet on those traits. Um, you know, I, I think when, you know, a guy like Chris Olave, who I have just in that second tier, it is easy to, to really enjoy and appreciate Chris Olave's game. Uh, he's so smooth. 
He's in the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, he understands uh, how to play the position at a high level uh, in terms of leveraging coverage, uh, being in the right, uh, in terms of where the quarterback needs him to be, he's there. Um, and that's something that's going to appeal to a lot of teams that are looking for a, a receiver that's ready to step in from day one and, and be a weapon. And Chris Olave can be that. I just, what bothers me with Chris Olave is, he gives you really nothing after the catch and the lack of size, uh, the lack of yak production, that that's a problem uh, for a team that's looking for that out of their wide receiver. So if you're okay, if you're looking for more of a possession threat, Chris Olave is going to be, and, and he's not just like a possession guy. He can win over the top. He's got speed, but he's not going to break tackles. That's, that's not his game. That's uh, you know, you're not going to be using him a lot in the quick game. Uh, you know, so that that's part of your evaluation with Chris Olave, but for a team, because we lump all these receivers together, but they all do something a little bit different. Sky Moore and George Pickens are back-to-back in my rankings, but they're very, very different with what they offer and their roles at the next level. So that, that's a, as an important part of the conversation as anything when you talk about these receivers. Um, it's just it's a really diverse group. And I think with these receivers, I, I think it's really it's, it's a little top-heavy. It's really strong in the first round, second round, and then even into the third and, and start of the fourth. I do think there's a big drop off after that. So I, if I need a receiver in this draft, I'm going to do it somewhere in the first three, probably the first three rounds, top 100 picks. All right. And Washington only has the two picks in the top 100. So if they want a receiver, they can't dilly dally based on what, uh, what you're saying. So that said, let's just picture a world that all the receivers are there at 11. Washington has Terry McLaurin. He's become one of the better receivers in the league. Some still wonder if he's an X, maybe he's better not really a true one, but he's been very productive without a lot of help otherwise. Uh, they, they have questions with the other receivers. Based on these receivers, in terms of the fit for Washington, what Scott Turner likes on offense and opposite McLaurin, who do you think here is just the bet fit for Washington, even if they're, you know, debate whether they're an 11? Yeah, I, I could make an argument for a few guys here. Um, I, but I, the argument I will make is for Garrett Wilson. I think he's the top receiver in the draft. He played the X position at Ohio State. But he could, he also played this in the slot the year before. Um, and what I love the most about Garrett Wilson is that he gets open before the catch. He gets open after the catch. Uh, you don't love the size. That's just the one area of his game that you just don't love. He's just under six foot and he's 180, 185 pounds. That's right around his playing uh, playing weight, uh, which is not ideal, uh, for, especially when you're drafting a receiver that early. Uh, but he is able to get open with his release package. He is able to, even when he is covered down the field, he has, and I don't use, I try not to use the word elite that often, but he has elite body control. So he can make the difficult catches over the defensive backs. Uh, his focus through contact is outstanding. So I, I really believe he makes the playbook come alive. Uh, he, he is a, reminds me a lot of a shorter version of uh, C.D. Lamb uh, when he was coming out of Oklahoma because you see the body control, you see the ball skills, you see the athleticism. Garrett Wilson has a lot of that. Uh, he, was, he was a big basketball uh, recruit. Uh, he, that was his first love uh, growing up. He had a few basketball scholarships out of, uh, out of the Austin area, and he, he chose football. He knew that you know, with his size, football was his best, uh, uh, best career path. And, but you see some of that basketball athleticism with the way he moves, the way he sets things up. So I, with Garrett Wilson, I, to me, he's the best receiver, and I think he would also be my answer for the best fit for, for Washington if he's still on the board. Uh, last receiver question. You've got Jamison Williams ranked rated pretty high. He is, of course, coming off the ACL tear suffered in the uh, college football playoffs. 
which means we don't really know when he's going to be available or what to expect out of him in year one. I, I, I struggle to think that Washington, a team that feels like it needs an impact player now, would go that route. But what do you? what's your line if, say, Wilson and London are off the board and he's there at 11 and they want receiver? Could you justify that? Or for Washington specifically, is it just not the right kind of fit? I don't think that there is a receiver in this draft that is going to be the difference between, um, you know, you making a run in the playoffs and you, you, you not making a run in the playoffs. So, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this as what's going to be the most impactful pick for my team for the next four to five years. And Jamison Williams, it is easy to talk yourself into him being that guy. He has special, special speed. Um, and he's not a track guy out there just playing football. He understands how to throttle down. He understands, uh, you know, how to set up double moves. He he can make those sharp ninety degree angles, those ninety degree cuts, without having to, uh, you know, really chop his feet and 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 stop his momentum. Um, he is a big play weapon. Uh, I, I love this is one of my favorite stats uh, from from the draft guide. Uh, Alabama Alabama's eleven longest plays on offense last year. Jamison Williams, uh, not even on offense, just total, 11 longest plays total. Jamison Williams is responsible for 10 of them. Uh, this guy, even in the SEC, with all the athleticism in that conference, he makes guys look like they're standing still with that speed. So, yes, the ACL is part of the evaluation, part of the conversation. As long as my doctors tell me that he will be 100% at some point uh, you know, around midseason, I would not hesitate to draft Jamison Williams anywhere in the top half of round one uh, because of just the uh, and, and anybody that watched Alabama last year, they know they, they, with Jamison Williams on the field there, you felt like an explosive play was ready to happen at any point. And I think he could bring that to your NFL offense as well. Uh, let, let's stay with the 11th pick. Now you didn't pick a receiver for Washington at 11. Again, I go encourage everybody to go read Dane's mock. And of course, go read the draft guide to get real details to all these players. You have them, though, taking a guy who I think people would be pretty ecstatic about, especially if you look where projections were happening a couple of well, a few weeks ago, and that is Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. I know I've talked to people in recent days, weeks that are suggesting that he actually could be there. You have him there. But the question is, why is he there? Is it because he didn't run the fastest 40? Is it because the position um, just is not as coveted top 10? Is it because... The quarterbacks are going high, or is it just, hey, maybe he was, maybe the momentum was a bit much early on. What, why is Kyle Hamilton there at 11, and why is he a good fit, do you think, for Washington? I think every all 32 teams are going to like Kyle Hamilton. Uh, I mean, 6'4", 220, one of the brightest players in this draft, um, a good athlete. Uh, it's just some teams are not going to be on board with drafting a unique safety in the top 10 picks. Um, that's that's just reality. I I think there's more likely that he falls out of the top 10 than rather go in the top 10. Um, and if he does, I think 11, 12, 13, that's a sweet spot for Kyle Hamilton uh, with Washington, Minnesota, and Houston. I think he, if, if I'm, if I'm betting, if I'm betting man, I, I'm betting he goes somewhere in those three picks. Um, and I think that the chance to add a, a talent like that to your defense, a guy that can play, you know, single high split safety, he can play in the box. Um, and, and, you know, a, a lot's been made of his 40 yard dash ran a four, five, nine, at the combine then he ran a 4.70 at the pro day which obviously not great times there but when you watch him on film I, I find me one person who has watched him on film and said you know what he's just he's too slow you know I just I wish he were faster it, right. no no one's saying that and, and a big part of it is 
like I said, he's so smart and he processes so well that before the snap happens, he's already on a second step. He knows what's happening before the play materializes. And so he's, you know, that four, four, five, nine with his intelligence, the way he gets a head start, it's like he runs a four, four, a low four, four. So, you know, I, I think a lot's been made of the, of the 40 yard dash when in reality, this dude's just a playmaker. Uh, I mean, he led the, led the Irish in interceptions twice out of the last three years. Uh, and he missed a good chunk of his, this past season with a, uh, with a minor injury. So um, uh, big Kyle Hamilton fan of what he could be. It's just, you know, some teams are just going to not be on board with uh, such a unique player like that in the top 10. It, conventionally, where does he line up? Do you think for a defense Washington played a bunch of uh, three safeties last year with that sort of Buffalo nickel, big nickel spot. Um, you actually have a guy like Jalen Petrie, listed as a big nickel in the NFL, which is why in my Washington mock, I gave him to them for that reason. But in terms of Hamilton, where does he conventionally fit, do you think, uh, in a defense? And I think that's part of the conversation with Kyle Hamilton. If you're going to draft him, you have to have a plan in place. Um, Because part of the appeal with him is the versatility, is that you can line him up at different spots. And I think that uh, you need to have a plan in terms of, okay, the offense is doing this. Well, this is where, you know, number 14 is going to be, whether that's in the box, whether that's, uh, you know, and so I think you have to have a defined plan with how you're going to deploy him instead of just using him in one spot. And that's, you know, stay there. And, uh, you know, that's it. I, you have to, with a versatile talent, you have to have versatile thinking. And I think that'll be as important to the, the conversation with Kyle Hamilton as anything else. Uh, staying on the defense, it feels like the linebackers have moved backwards like early on in the draft process. Maybe there was a world where a Devin Lloyd or a Kobe Dean was being viewed in this range, but it feels like it's back a little bit, but maybe not. You really like Devin Lloyd a lot. Washington has questions at linebacker. They did just draft one, though, in year one last year, so we'll see if they do it again. I'm curious this. 11, you can take Devin Lloyd at 11 or, say, a Chad Muma in the second round where they pick at 47. What, from your perspective, would be the better way to go in, in that regard? Yeah, I, I am a big fan of Devin Lloyd. I think he's one of the 10 best players in this draft. Um, I, with, with Devin Lloyd, he just he gives you everything. He's a four-down player, 6'3", 237, uh, high school safety. So he has that coverage uh, experience. He had double-digit uh, passes defended this year. Five interceptions in his career. Three of them he returned for touchdowns. So he knows what he's doing when he gets his hand on the football uh, but he's also excellent versus the run, had over 100 tackles this year. He, uh, he, he is explosive downhill, 22 tackles for a loss, second in the nation behind only Alabama's Will Anderson, who will be the first non-quarterback drafted next year. Um, so there's a, he also had eight sacks, so he can get after the quarterback as well. Uh, Devin Lloyd can do everything. And that's, I mean, we just saw what Michael Parsons meant for that Cowboys defense last year. My, uh, Devin Lloyd is not on that same level as Michael Parsons. But in terms of how he's used in that versatility, that's what Devin Lloyd gives you. And so that's 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 part of my, uh, you know, why I appreciate him so much as a player. Now, not every team's going to be on board with, with a, a linebacker like that. I think Baltimore at 14 is an option. Um, I think the Patriots at 21. That makes a ton of sense. So if he doesn't go 11... Uh, to Washington, I, I do think that he's going to go, you know, pretty quickly after. Uh, but I, I do like this linebacker class quite a bit. I think it's it's a position where 
if they if you don't go that direction in the first round, uh, part of the reason is is because you feel good about what's going to be available for you, second, third, uh, even into the fourth round. Uh, you mentioned Chad Muma. I'm a big fan of Quay Walker out of Georgia, Leo Chanel out of Wisconsin, uh, it, Troy Anderson, Montana State. I mean, we could we could talk for uh, you know, go on and on about these linebackers that you could find on day two. So I, I and even into day three. So I think that's part of the decision making as well about whether or not to draft a linebacker, uh, an off ball linebacker in the top 15. Washington has Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick at running back. You could say that they look pretty good, but I've been talking for a while about them possibly bringing in another running back to sort of help round out the offense a bit. They have brought in for workouts or day three, 30 visits to Brees Hall, uh, Kenneth Walker, Isaiah Spiller. If round two, one of them is sitting there and they Washington decides they do want to go down that route, do you think one is the better fit for what they already have with this uh, offense? And that's really interesting because, yeah, you look at Washington's roster and you don't think running back uh, in terms of being that, that second round pick, but uh, follow, follow the visits that, that tells you something, what they're looking at. No question. Um, I'm a big Kenneth Walker fan. I think he's just, he's so instinctive uh, with, in terms of hitting the hole, uh, being able to break tackles uh, and just maximizing every single play that he can. Uh, so that Kenneth Walker would be my answer, but we, you know, Brees Hall, I think, you know, you can't go wrong, uh, because he just checks almost every box that you're looking for, uh, in terms of the athletic testing, did all that at the combine, tested out. Um, and then, you know, the, the position specific traits like vision, decision-making patience, balance, Brees Hall has all that as well. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think it'd be a debate there if uh, one or both of those guys are available, but, uh, you know, I, I think this is you know, similar to the linebacker class. I love this running back class because you don't have to draft uh, one of those guys early. Wait till the third, fourth, fifth round. And it's just it's it's a loaded uh, position. So, I mean, the fourth, the guys I had coming off in the fourth round in my mock were, uh, you know, both Georgia running backs. You know, James Cook and Zamir White, Damian Pierce from Florida, uh, you know, eight, uh, into the fifth round with Abram Smith from Baylor and Brian Robinson, Alabama. So, I mean, you can afford with it, with the way their running back depth chart is, I think they can afford to wait until the fourth, fifth round and uh, get their running back there. If they want to add a little bit more, a uh, little more juice to that running back room. I know I got to let you go into sex. So I'll do a little speed round here. Uh, you gave Washington a quarterback in the second round. I'm not going to spoil it. You can go look and, re and read the mock, but day three, if they take one there, because I think they might, who's your favorite day three quarterback that you kind of think makes sense for Washington? Um, I don't really have one to be honest with you. I don't, I don't like that. Usually there's one quarterback that I would, you know, roll a dice on in, in day three, but um, this year just doesn't have that for me. I, and I'm not going to force a guy. Um, now if I'm, if I want, if I'm looking for like a solid backup, I, I like Jack Cohn out of Notre Dame. I think he's can come in and be just a really, you know, exactly what you're getting with him. Uh, I think his ceiling is capped um as a backup but um i i really don't like any of the quote-unquote you know developmental options guys that could uh grow into something with this quarterback class I, I it's just from top to bottom just it's just a weird quarterback group this year your favorite day three sleeper i don't care what the position is just for you the guy you like to when you when, when it's late at night you're home alone you turn on the tape you're like i like this guy uh, are you peeking through my window? How do you know I do that? Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's definitely a few guys, um, you know, pass right. We can really go position by position because there's always a few position, uh, pass rusher, David and Ninny from Houston's a guy I really like it, these centers. I, I, I really like a, a, a lot. And I don't, you know, like Cole strange from Chattanooga. He's been my guy for a while. I don't 
he might have he, he's been playing so well at the senior bowl and throughout the process he might be, he's probably in the third round now so uh he doesn't really count anymore um but a lot of these centers are really talented tight end i, like, I really like garrett uh uh garrett prince at a uab um I, I think he's somewhere in the late rounds he's going to be a nice fit for somebody so yeah th- this draft definitely has a lot of uh under the under the radar guys that maybe aren't well known but i, I think could end up sticking in the in the nfl Go read him on The Athletic. He is everywhere. He's everywhere on the radio waves these days. He's at DP Brugler on Twitter. I appreciate you carving out a few minutes for us, man. Best of luck. Hang in there. Two more weeks to go, and then you can go take a nap. But until then, you you keep on trucking. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. All right. Uh, I have been accused of, even though I cover the commanders, that I still want to cover the Wizards or some other crap like that. I falsely I, I i disagree with all that but i have thoughts i do like to talk about them so here to help me vent and talk and about this team is the the washington post uh beat writer for the wizards ava wallace uh you're one of those people that accuses me of like i can't stay away kenya i'm like look did you see me this year uh on zoom i saw the name lurking on uh, zoom i on think occasion. like three like three or four times. Look, uh, Tommy Shepard just had a season ending press conference. I are uh, on Zoom. I was there for that. I didn't mm-hmm. say a word. Mm-hmm. Just I, lurking. I had, yeah, just Keeping listen. An eye out. I, do you always start your podcast by like, listen, people are always telling me, like, just like a <laughs> a nice yelling rant for the listeners? <laughs> uh, it, it depends. You know, it depends what kind of what kind of mood I'm in. I got, I got, I got a little extra uh, energy and fire in me, I guess, I guess today. But like, wow. it is the difference. Like, I, because look, I get it. I will go off about the commanders as well, but I, that is the team that I cover and that's the whole thing. I don't really cover the wizards anymore. And you know, I don't, I'm a bit emotionally detached from all these teams that I grew up rooting for forever because of these things, but I can at least a little bit more rant a little bit now. Cause I don't have, I don't, I don't show up for any of these things. So what are people going to call the commanders? Like what's the nickname for uh, that? I don't think, I don't commanders? think we know. Yeah, I I literally don't know. Commando. Somebody said like, I don't know if you watch the Mandalorian. I kind of like Mando. Mando. Yeah, I I'm down with that. Um, but yeah, I really don't know. It's it's among the twenty seven thousand problems that have happened. We're like, wait, what? That's true, and it's actually it's pretty far down. So I guess you know we can <laughs> shove that to the side. Although it is one of those things that's kind of, on the other hand, most important because it's it doesn't the, it's, roll off the tongue. Yeah, yeah, and you know, yeah, and even having to write it all. The, I mean, it's not like I ever shorthanded wrote skins in an article right. or something. But right. in any event, uh, or, or or whiz for that matter. Um, but hey, congrats! Your season is over. I, I imagine the Washington Post will send you out on the road for the playoffs or something. But in terms of the coverage of the team. That ended. Uh, it really ended, I guess, in a certain way. Whenever they blew the thing up during the year, and then right after that, Bradley Beal, or right at that point, Bradley Beal's we learned is going to go have surgery, and you right. still had to cover the team. But it becomes a different journey at that point. I guess just tell me for you, not even talking about the team, just for you, what was the journey like going into this season? We had such a good start, and then yeah. completely petered out. It was such a weird feeling earlier this year because it was such a good description of the fan base when they were doing well in November and had that 10 and three start because nobody, I don't think there was a single person online who ever, at least online. And that's where like, you know, over email, over Twitter stuff like that. Most of my interacting with fans happens when it's not like the same five people who greet the, the media folks at games, which is always very nice, <laughs> but like, um, 
nobody ever got comfortable because it was always just a feeling of like, when is the bottom going to fall out of this thing? And, you know, sure enough, it did. And that's always kind of like the most disappointing way to go about it when everybody's expectations were so frayed and then you do exactly what everyone was expecting you to as a franchise. Um, but that, I mean, it was, you know, also having grown up in that area, in this area, and and so kind of being aware of Wizards mediocrity for my whole life is like, it was such a weird feeling being like, huh, maybe they're, they're really, they're really doing something. But again, it was never like a full throated, you could really truly believe in it. Um, and then it was <laughs> definitely a weird season for me, because I went to um, I did both Olympics this year, this, this 12 month span, not this calendar year, but so I was in China for the winter Olympics from January 29th to February 23rd, uh, which was a very busy period of time for the wizards. So that was during, that was their trade deadline kind of fire, mini, mini fire sale. Was it like a flame sale? Um, that was when, when uh, Bradley Beal <laughs> had his surgery and I actually had someone text me, I'm on Amtrak and I think Bradley Beal and like a bunch of people in suits are sitting in the car next to me. <laughs> Do you want me to go see what they're doing? And I was like, no, it's fine. I'm in China. <laughs> like, okay. But, um, and it wasn't, it was him coming back from a, a meeting, a consultation with some doctors up in New York city. Um, but um, so that was weird being halfway, well, all the way around the world, pretty much. Um, during all that happening and then just like kind of coming back. So I came back to the team on March 1st and I was like, okay, Chris Porzingis is here. Like, is he going to play? What are we doing? Oh, he is going to play. Why is he going to play? Like, what's the point without having him there with Bradley Beal? So it was just kind of like chaos um, from when things started really unraveling in December until kind of the final stretch of the season when they were bad, but at least they were getting like some consistency with their lineup towards the end of the year. Right. It's like you had a situation where like, you know who a person is, you go away for a while, you come back and you're presented with the same person, but it's a complete way. You're not that person. Yes, it's, absolutely. I, you were six foot four before now you're five ten. you can't be the same well no i am the same person oh yeah, okay i gotta treat you like well, you're the same exactly yes it was very <laughs> it was very dis- discombobulating for sure. i will say and maybe this is an example of like being away from the team but when they were 10 and 3 and fred katz uh obviously we covered the who had covered the team but is now with the knicks like we were talking on this podcast about that start because we were all kind of joking with fred aha you know they got rid of you and now they're going to start winning and he had thoughts and we were both I think pretty optimistic now part of that was because of the haul they got from the Westbrook trade and how that was playing out and you know I was constantly in favor of getting rid of the head coach and 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 all that and things looked a bit they were going great and so I don't think either one of us changed our outlook to say the ceiling is still like the sixth seed but it felt like hey they did a really good thing with the Westbrook trade things were trending in the right direction and then I think pretty much that was the stock market chart top. <laughs> and then it obviously cratered from, from there. We don't have to go through all the deals as to what happened, but the fact that it cratered that badly and there were injuries, obviously Bradley Beal ends up missing a, a good chunk of the year, but it happened all before that as you sort of put your cap, uh, you, you sort of wrap up that part of the, 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 the season. Like what ultimately do you think was the thing that went so wrong that they had to blow the whole thing up? Um, it was, I had, uh, thoughts, 
that I can say. Well, I'll uh, just say, I mean, from from the, from the outside, it looked to me like Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie but were completely off, all not on the same page. Now, whether that's a true like human to human personality, or like one guy wants the ball and the other guy wants the ball, and they can't both have the ball, and they could yeah. never figure out how to do it, and that became the clash. I don't know what where the separation is, but that's but that was sort of my view from the outside. Plus, Montrez Harrell was a lot. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you have a first year head coach who's having to deal with all this. There's still, there was still, I, you know, uh, the Omicron variant was, was a thing. And that was, you know, messing up people's schedules and lives as well. So all these variables seem to come into play, but that's how I viewed it from the outside. Yeah, it wasn't, I don't think it was that Spencer Dinwiddie and Bradley Beal didn't get along. I think it was, first of all, you got a, I mean, they did get along. Beal signed off on him coming to Washington. Certainly that's something that he was upfront about from the beginning saying, yeah, I wanted him here as our point guard. Um, When you sign a point guard who you have not seen play for the entire last season, because he was out with an ACL injury. uh, I don't know if there is some, a lack of understanding in his game as a point guard, even though you have kind of years and years before that of the type of, of person he was playing, but you're taking that game tape and that knowledge from a team in Brooklyn where he was not asked to take on as big of a role as he was asked to take on in Washington. Um, It kind of, the first we heard from um, Spencer about his role changing was on a West Coast trip. I want to say in December, because I know we were in Sacramento because the power was out in the entire city that day. Uh, so I I remember that trip very well. If you've oh, ever been in powerless Sacramento, I can't say it's a place you want to be. Um, but um, so Spencer Diddy, there was some confusion about how much the ball was supposed to be in his hands and how much he was supposed to be distributing and, and shot volume. And then of course you have a guy like Montrez Harrell, who when you give hit, you know, somebody with his strong of a personality. Uh, the shine that he was getting in DC kind of came in and was immediately, really, really immediately embraced by the fans. Um, and, and people just kind of loved his energy and, and enthusiasm um, and kind of ferocity. So he's now saying, well, I need some, my touches too, but you've got Bradley Beal, who obviously Wes Unsell Jr. is trying to put the ball in his hands as much as possible because that's your franchise guy. It was just kind of a whole personality wise, shot distribution wise, volume of shot wise. It was not a good fit as a whole. Um, it was just locker room issues. And now guys have told us, multiple people told us it was fighting like cats and dogs in the locker room and, and also real fighting when punches were thrown at one point um, and perhaps more than one point. Um, but it was people fighting about you know minutes and, and number of shots, just like bickering, bickering, bickering. That was kind of the tone of the locker room pretty much up until that trade. And it was just very clear that there was not a well-established hierarchy um, there, both from kind of a an on-court perspective, maybe at least that's what players were feeling, um, and certainly from a locker room perspective, because it was clear that there was a lot of strong personalities that were not kind of meshing well together. And to me, that's always kind of an in- indication of leadership, uh, in my opinion. That's not coming from players. That's my. That's how I view things. But of course, that's no one's told me that. But yeah, it just wasn't a good fit overall. And it just, it was very clear that, that people had to go. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm taking notes because I want to, I'm going to forget my, my piece, pea sized brain is going to forget things that you just said. 
to, to the point of the, the chemistry stuff. And again, I'm saying this as somebody who went to one game this year, but I've been around. It was, the, it was the last game before it was the game right before the trading deadline. At first, I don't only remember who they played, but uh, right. The next game Beal was, they was having surgery. I thought you were gonna be like, oh, it was the Clippers game or something at home. And I was like, oh boy, man. Like, no, well, I don't remember. No, it was like a thirty-five point lead. Like, I think it was the Miami Heat. I think they were up pretty decently, and then they blew it. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, but anyway, but to your point of the the leadership and all that, like one of the things that I have found frustrating since the beginning of Ted Leonsis's era was, you know, when the literal day they they drafted John Wall they literally rolled out the red carpet for him when he showed up at the arena. And it wasn't just a, that, that was, that, that wasn't just a metaphor. That was like a literal way that they sort of handled the business. He kind of just said, here, you do what you want. We'll help you out. But like, we're not going to, we're not going to put restraints on you in terms of as an employee, as a, as a member of this organization. And it's not about like the, I'm not talking about whether a player goes wild in his personal life, but I'm saying like, what does it mean to be a member of this organization? What are the standards here? So when every time new people come in, they understand that this is the, when people talk about heat culture, this is what they're talking about. Here's the standard we set. Here's what it means. Here are the basic guidelines. And within that, this is how we're going to win. And the Wizards never do that. Instead, because they're so desperate to keep their star players, because nobody ever wants to come here, it seems, they maybe a little bend over backwards a bit too much. And so that happened with John Wall. Bradley Beal grows up in this environment he sees what goes on then when he becomes the guy the sort of the same thing's happening to the point now where he's about to become the highest paid player in the league even though he's a really good player but i mean he's not that guy and it's just as a continued cycle of this so when guys like spencer dinwiddie or Montrez harrell come into this locker room it's not like there's also i don't think bradley beal is an alpha per se which is not a knock it's to say like he's not the guy setting the tone so these guys come into that space and they're, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie's pretty out, you know, kind of an alpha. So like Montrezl Harrell certainly is. So there's no, they're just coming into this thing. I think the same thing has happened when Austin Rivers showed up a couple of years prior as well. So I just think this is like from an organizational standpoint is part of the frustration here um, that there's just nothing builds on each other on the thing because there's no culture set. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about when I when I was talking about leadership more than from an organizational standpoint, I was talking about on a roster standpoint is like when you have a guy like Bradley Beal, who you're saying, okay, now you're the franchise player, but Bradley Beal is the first to admit, he is a laid back guy, he is a quiet guy, he's, he's going to get along with any, everybody. I mean, he and Montrose Harrell got along right away from what we could see before everything kind of started. And you know, winning cures everything too so that definitely helped but you've got to find guys also when Bradley Beal is the number one on your call sheet you got to find guys who are going to mesh with him and and kind of go his way and and kind of work out with that that's what I mean when it's like a total fit it's not just like it's gotta it's gotta kind of work in all of these different from all these different sides and Bradley Beal if you're saying okay we're building around you you're our franchise player which the Wizards have been now for two years then you've got to make sure kind of everything fits from that frame of mind um, and if he's the center of your locker room then you got to have guys who are going to say okay you're the center of our locker room by the way uh you're, you're trying to remember what game it was I still don't I think it was the Miami Heat game but here's how we know which game it was it was this game whatever game they gave this out the Manu, the Manu Bowl bobblehead. That's the game okay. I was at. That if, if if that was if I said that was eighty percent of the reason I showed up, might have been might have been nine. I will say they had some good bobbleheads this year. 
like they had both Anselms. Uh, I can't remember if wasn't there a Mirasan? I think there was supposed to be at least. There was a Mirasan. There was a Bowl one. Um, because it was the seventy fifth. That's why I think because it was the seventy fifth. So they had all these kind of. But they had some good bobbleheads this year. I mean, of course, Thomas Bryant. Who could forget last game of the season? Sure. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not twelve years old, but I, for some reason I was like the bobbleheads. I don't know. They just they're kinda, great. Oh, yeah. strong, strong, strong believer in bobbleheads. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right. So, and by the way, just as a quick aside, the second they traded Westbrook, in which and people have heard me say this, they, I, you know, most of us probably assumed you would have to attach picks to get rid of Westbrook. Instead, they got a haul back, including a first round pick. At that moment. That was the moment they were given the pass to say, okay, we're going to start over, but we're already starting over with a head start. We already have Ruya Hachimura, Denny Avdia. We just got these guys. If we trade Bradley Beal for picks and players, we can start over. That's not just a roster standpoint. That's actually even this culture standpoint that we're talking about, but they leaned into what they always lean into. We're going to go for the eight seed and there, there, there you go. Uh, but this is the team they have. So here's the other question you mentioned the Beal Dinwiddie who's got the ball who doesn't have the ball well we don't know right because what's going to happen now because Beal and Kristaps Porzingis haven't played together because unfortunately Beal was hurt when Porzingis showed up I believe you asked Tommy Shepard the other day did he learn anything about this point guard he's going to have to bring in about having gone through this whole year if you figure out what kind of point guard you're going to need to play with these guys um I don't know if the what the answer is but I know this they need Bradley Beal to understand he has to go play off the ball more the way he did earlier in his career. He may score less, but he'll be a better player. Until that happens, I think this they're going to keep running into the same problem unless the other point guard is just uh, sort of a more of a passive player as opposed to a lead guard. Well, What's but your... because you're on the Zoom, you you know that both Tommy Shepard and Wes Ansel Jr. said literally the opposite of that. They said, we want... So Tommy Shepard answered my question, and, and my second part of that question is, and does, you know... What you think you want is that complicated by the fact that you haven't seen Beal and Porzingis play together? Um, and he said, "No, not really, because talent playing with talent always takes care of itself." Um, and then he said, "So it's clear the Wizards are kind of going to be looking for a pass-first point guard, a distributor." When I asked Porzingis the same thing in his exit interview, he said, "Someone who's assertive and can and can keep us organized, but is also pass-first. So that's somebody with a you got to find the right personality there too." I thought it was really interesting that Wes Unseld said it's really hard nowadays to find that kind of true point guard who's a real floor general and not also a little bit looking to score. Um, but both Shepard and Unseld said, you know, they're that's we want somebody in that mindset but they're not going to have to do it all for us because we've got Bradley Beal who can be a playmaker and we've got Denny Avdia who can be a playmaker and we've got these guys who can handle the ball so I thought that was very interesting that it doesn't seem to me that they want Beal to kind of just go and be a scorer which is what everybody was saying coming into this year where it's like Brad now can just go off and score and do his thing and that is not what we're hearing at least right now and maybe that changes going into next season but that's absolutely not what we're hearing now and I think that's really fascinating to me um that that's kind of what they took away from this year yeah well like I said I, I leave it to them and, and and all you guys who are watching them every minute I can't be that person right now but at the same point I just know Bradley Beal's game and the reality is he's improved miles as a ball handler but that's very different than being the sort of a distributor and a guy that especially like late in games, you're saying go facilitate for others. He score, he can score 30 a game. We've seen that, but that's a different deal. Also go look at how, I, I don't know if there's a stat that would show this, the, his, his becoming a more dominant ball handler, I would say coincides directly 
with his three-point shooting falling off a cliff. He used to be the guy that would run off screens and get open that way. It is now he can't make a three at all. And like he, I mean, to just get the 37%, we can call it a day. This is a guy that should have been shooting over 40%. Um, that, that would be my contention also. Set him up more for shots, make yeah. him more effective. That way it helps everybody involved. But I mean, I, I agree with you. And that's kind of what the mantra was going into this year was simplify what Beal has to do and kind of say, all you have to do is be a shooter. And that, that changed somewhere along the line. Um, and I mean, I think I know where along the line, the line it changed, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Bradley Beal had, a, had, you know, has, has spoken very frankly, it was, you know, not the year that he wanted to have uh, numbers wise for sure. Um w- boringest topic for you has got to be is Beal is Beal going to sign his contract so I, we don't have to get into it too much but I mean at this point all signs are seemingly he's going to take the money and whether at some point down the line he ever says to them, eh, I've had enough but he's not going to turn down the money I would imagine is that uh, that's the fair assumption all everyone I've been talking to uh inside the team outside the team has have yes indicated that he is certainly heavily leaning towards resigning with the wizards and that it's absolutely the prudent decision for him for sure it's hard to turn down the money it is All right, hard so, to turn down that monet so you got bradley beal you got Kristaps porzingis you got kyle kuzma see this is my problem i everything i just we just said sort of is on towards the negative tilt and not tension it's just the reality of how they i have, see the wall they have guys though like it doesn't have to be all negative they have well, that's guys. the thing but that's what that's what i say you have beal you have porzingis you have kyle kuzma i'm not saying that's competing with whatever you think are the big combinations at the top of the east but it's not nothing and kuzma is you know still ascending and if porzingis could stay healthy caldwell be- pope's a, a, a you know a solid vet for sure Right. You've got, you know, Rui Hachimura and Denny Avdia made some strides this year. I mean, Daniel Gafford felt like he took a, maybe a little bit of a step back or at least didn't ascend any a, a, any further. So there are some pieces. What What's the thing that gives you, therefore, the most hope that the Wizards can be uh, maybe contender is too strong, but can be some sort of a factor in the East next year? Um, the The thing, I guess, that gives me, that's a good question to phrase it like that. If they can figure out who's taking all the shots between Porzingis and Beal uh, and, you know, what happens to Kuzma's role because he then got used to kind of having a much more elevated role on the Wizards. So I don't know what happens if that goes back to shifting back down next year or if it does. Um, If they can figure it out with that kind of core, I think they... Yeah, you want to say that gives you hope, but then you're kind of like, well, they got to play defense too, <laughs> like, you know. Um, certainly just the kind of raw talent and assets they have gives you hope, especially since it does appear that the front office is saying, yeah, like we're we're exploring all options here in terms of uh, getting the guys that we need to get, uh, you know, waivers, trades, free agency, whatever they, I don't know how much they really need that first round pick, but it's certainly something that could be a trade asset. Certainly. Um, I mean, they, I don't, when I say, I don't know how much they need the first round pick. I mean, I don't know how much they need a, a rookie on their team right now. Like, I don't know if they need to get any younger. Uh, actually I do know if they need to get any younger and I don't think that they do, but um, so that's something, but it's not like they, they're just like this bereft, it's not like the cupboard is empty and I do, I have to say, I just think Wes Unsell Jr. 
is has has barely gotten started with kind of the way that he wants to get things moving on this team. So that gives me a lot of hope. The fact that they do have guys, they have assets, and they I think they have a talented coach in place who the players all seem to really connect well with. And when he gets some consistency, if they get some consistency, I'd be really interested to see what he can actually kind of put into action. The um that the difference between your sport and my sport is that in my sport, despite all of the commanders things that are going on you can look at the roster and talk yourself into hey if Carson Wentz does some good things if Chase Young recovers from his injury and plays well they have enough young talent football is a weird sport you can easily become some sort of a contender not overnight but they could easily be a team that's in the mix at the top just because the nature of the sport in your sport even for all the stuff that we're saying even if Rui Hachimura and Denny Avda make some strides when you don't have one of the five best players or two of the top 10 or 15, it just becomes harder to see how do you get over the top? You need some other extra variable to come into play if you don't have those guys. And when you're signing Beal to this contract, it becomes a little harder to figure out how to do it, which is why you're saying maybe trading the first round pick could make some sense. And also this brings to the question of the head coach. The head coach in football has way more power control than the NBA guy does. Uh but he's still the coach, and we knew about Wes Unseld's defense. It Things went backwards from a statistical standpoint this year. Um, you said you seemed to like what you saw. Do you think he's got enough – you've seen enough signs to think that he can be a reason why this thing turns around if they don't have that top piece on the, on the court? Yes, um, mostly because I think – I think, I mean, when we asked Kyle Kuzma about it, I think he said it best, like he did a good job with all the cards he was dealt and he was certainly dealt a lot of cards. And like you said, NBA head coaches um, don't always have all the power in, in organizations and, and don't always have all the power that they want. Um, but I do think kind of after the first growing pains year where Unseld is learning how to be a head coach, because he is a first time head coach um, and learning how to work with this group. I just don't think we can judge him too much based off of this year where he didn't have uh where he didn't have consistent guys he didn't seem to have guys who were at least for part of the year communicating well with him um and it seems like the young players are really hearing what he's saying guys like Denny Abdia like you said Rui Hachimura uh Corey Kispert especially um so I, I just more than like I just don't think this past year was really indicative of what he could do um, on the West Unsell Jr. part. But yeah, I mean, listen, they, they certainly, Tommy Shepard loves a challenge, huh? Like, <laughs> with, the, with the cap space that they're going to have this year, he's, he's kind of made miracles happen before. So it'll be interesting uh, to see what he does this summer. He has done a tremendous job with these random trades where you're just like, they're in, a, they're in a bind or he doesn't have much to work with. And he's done really well on the margins. And then last year with the Westbrook trade, a, a, a bigger deal that even with, how things worked out even factor in the Aaron holiday part of that which wasn't great you still get kyle kuzma you still get um kcp and if you even if you factor in the porzingis part you got rid of the bertans contract without having to take anything on um so we will we'll see all right in the last couple of minutes dealer's choice you, you, there's a hundred wizards topics we could get into players uh your, your you know your favorite uh your favorite road trip, what the locker room was like. You want to make fun of Chase Hughes's hair. I don't know. Whatever you got, I'm open to to having a, a fruitful conversation or par, part of this conversation here to wrap up. 
What do we need is, to know? Uh, gosh, what you need to know. Um, I mean, I'll ask you this if you don't have something. Well, who's the backup point guard next year? I find this fascinating. They had three guys around this year. Ish Smith is under contract, but it's not guaranteed, so he could be gone. I'm a right. Sadoransky guy. Uh, they can't so bring... Chris, Porzingis. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and I mean, in Howell Netto, they these 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 guys love Howell Netto. I mean, he just he sacrifices his body, just flinging himself in the paint, left, right, and center. But he fell out of the rotation, and I I, I did think it was interesting. I don't know how indicative this was because I don't know Porzingis all that well yet, so I don't know when he's kind of talking around something. But when we asked him, "What do you want to see in a point guard?" He said, "You know." Somebody, like I said, assertive can keep us organized, but his pass first, you know, I thought Sato did a really good job and it was really great to play with him. That was huge having when they were able to have Porzingis come in kind of absolutely fresh to this group to have somebody that he had played with because Porzingis and Sadoransky played together in Sevilla in like this. I, I like wish that I could go back because they both call it like their college days, like just hanging out in Sevilla, a bunch of European guys. Like they both talk about it. Like they're like, Oh my God, the best years of my life. Like <laughs> when I became a man and I'm just like, like what, what happened over there? Um, but they, and they're always, they, I think it's so funny. They always, they only speak Spanish to each other pretty much. Um, and Porzingis is Spanish is like better than my, it's perfect. It's insane. Um, but uh so I, I, w- I was very interested to hear him kind of uh, praise Sato by name. And then Tommy Shepard in his exit interview said, you know, I wanted another look at, at Sato myself selfishly. So that was interesting to me. Um, so I don't know how indicative that is, but it certainly uh, kind of raised my antenna that his name was said by a couple different people who you presumably would think have some decision-making sway there. Um, and then of course, Ish Smith is just, this this sunshine in a in a bottle like he's the best but kind of depends on he's a very different player from Sato for sure and it seemed like Sato really worked when they he kind of took over for the last what was it 12 games or something like that I'm sure I have that number wrong yeah it would be, it would be it, there's a lot of reasons to like all three of those guys and it would be a, a sort of a more ideal world if you could just figure out how to keep them all it's just none of them are quite good enough to play yeah. 30 minutes a game for a team that's really trying to to go places so that that'll be the part of thing that they liked is they liked Sadoransky's size and that's what that's what they really liked about Dinwiddie as well as they liked having a point guard with a little bit more height who can just kind of see the floor a little bit better and they the Wizards keep talking about how much size they could have with Kuzma with Porzingis uh with flirting with kind of playing Porzingis with Gafford and sticking Sato in there would certainly help although that's like I mean they might be if they keep all those guys and Sato is the backup point guard, would they? They'd have to be one of the taller lineups in the NBA, right? Uh, you would think so. Rosters. Yeah, no, you would think so. I mean, we didn't even get into like how does the whole front court work out with Gafford, Porzingis, Hachimura, Kuzma? Yeah. How do you play all these guys, make them effective, and get the minutes? And that's a whole other conversation. This this is why the podcast continues, and we can have you uh, back on when your schedule, uh, you know. Alas for such things, but you know, at some point they'll make some more moves. Something will happen. Oh, certainly, something will happen. I, I always love uh, serving as the Knicks beat writers understudy on this podcast, so that's nice. Well, to be honest, this I this, he may Fred may have tapped out because I, I I hit him up when the season was over. He goes, you know, I don't really I don't really follow the Wizards much anymore. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, I was like, well, I don't either. But the team can do it. That's when you come to me, and that's my <laughs> that's my claim to fame. <laughs> No, no. Uh, you know, it's a, you know, he's he he technically, you know, not technically, he and I get paid by the same company. Yeah, you know, so it's easier to sort of, you know, keep it in the family type thing. But um, 
Yeah. Fred, Fred pretends he's not clued in, like he's not looking up wizard stats in his free time. Well, plus the Wizards and Knicks played at the end of the year. I was like, dude, you literally just watched them play, but whatever. He's that busy. Was, he's got, he's, he's living life over there. Um, special that game. Uh, yeah, I can only, I can only imagine. All right. Well, Ava, uh, as always, tremendous job. Go read Ava in the Washington Post at Ava R. Wallace on Twitter. The other day uh, we did radio and I tweeted Ava's out and I forgot the R. So some, oh, per- some there's another, a- some other Ava Wallace got some, probably some extra follows that day. So good for her. Good for her. Yeah. Um, probably a person you probably loathe because she took the straight Ava Wallace from. I was just gonna say, like, who is that person? How do I get that handle? Should I pay someone off right now? I don't know. Somebody has the handle standing, and I'm like, I'd like to get that one. Yeah, I'd like to just take that. I gotta. I what I really have to do is buy out Ava DuVernay, who just has at Ava. That would be nice to have. I, you know what? You may have to hit up your 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 boss for that one if you're gonna make 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 that make something like that work. True. That's very true. (laughs) uh ava appreciated uh congrats on completing the season good luck with whatever the off season gives you and uh, we will talk thanks good luck with the commies <laughs> thank you all right many thanks to dane brugler with the athletic and ava wallace with the washington post for their time thanks to everyone here as always for checking out the podcast checking out my work on the athletic hitting me up on twitter at ben standing and just being you just being you but that, that's it for now. Ben Standig signing off. Only a few more days to go before the draft, and we'll talk about it all here on the Standing Room Only podcast. And until next time, see ya.